Welcome to Christian Financial Perspectives, a weekly program where we talk about ways to integrate your faith with your finances. This is Bob Barber. This is Mary Jo Lyons. Are you ready to learn the truth about money from a biblical perspective? Join us as we discuss what God's Word says about money and integrating your faith with your finances. If it's your first time listening, welcome to the program. And if you're a returning listener, welcome back. Romans 12, 6-8. We all have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophecy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Today, we're going to talk about many of the top questions we get as financial advisors on a daily basis. I picked this scripture to start off today's program because Mary Jo and I, we seem to have the gift of teaching. Would you not agree, Mary Jo? Well, I've heard that more than once, Bob. Yes, I think that's true. I don't know about your side, Mary Jo, but on my side, my mom was a teacher and her dad, my grandfather, was a superintendent of schools and also a teacher. So I think that comes naturally. It's born. It's in my genetic makeup. Well, and the same is true for me, Bob. My dad was a teacher as well. And for many years, it seems like in the financial services industry, and even in my other life before that, it seems like every role I get into, I end up morphing it into a training role. And so I've spent a lot of time as a classroom trainer and teaching advisors. It's in my blood. And that's one of the things that clients like because I kind of take my time with them to explain things to them in my teaching mode. As we mentioned, this scripture is such a beautiful scripture because it talks about how each one of us has different kinds of gifts. I want to challenge those that are listening today. Have you thought about what spiritual gift that is that God has given you? Oh, that's great, Bob. And on that note, you know, as we think about the questions that clients ask us, so often the answer is, well, that depends. Because everyone's situation is different. Their situation is unique. And the answer could be different for you versus your neighbor. Sometimes there's just not always one answer to a lot of these questions. We're going to go through some of those questions and share our thoughts on their answers. But again, it all depends on their situation. Well, Mary Jo, let's get into some of these questions. That first one is one that was just asked of me yesterday. So what would that one be? Do we have enough to last us through retirement? Well, that depends. So one of the things we want to look at is our legacy goals. What are your goals and objectives for your retirement and your resources? What do you want them to do for you? What kind of life do you want to create for yourself? Another big one right now is longevity risk the cost of longevity and how that's going to impact your resources. Retirement, that used to be 10, 15 years. Now we're living much longer. And so if we're retiring early and living longer, we have a longer time horizon. We have longer life expectancies. The risk, longevity risk, it's a risk, but it's not a bad risk. No, (laughs) it does imply life and that's a good thing, (laughs) but it can be expensive. (laughs) Yes, it can. (laughs) That's a very good point. You've got your fixed expenses, your living expenses, and then discretionary spending. If you plan to travel, if you want to give generously, 
if you have other things that you want to do with your legacy goals. And then you've got family needs. A lot of people want to be generous with their family. Kids with young families, they have financial needs and parents want to be able to help out. Those are all some of the things that you have to plan for. So with financial planning, we can crunch those numbers and then we can answer that question for you more specifically. What else would you add, Bob? On this, I'm going to go ahead and go to the next question that we get a lot of. This is kind of a totally different idea, but it still goes with that longevity risk and how are we going to spend our money during retirement? And that is, should I pay off my home mortgage or continue to save and invest? And I'm going to say kind of like you, Mary Jo, well, that depends. I think on a lot of this, we're going to say, well, that depends. Am I right? That's right. It's definitely unique for everyone's situation. One of the things that I've noticed, Mary Jo, in listening to many of the radio programs where they talk about debt is no one ever thinks about mortgage interest in the mindset that it's decompounding. Do you know what I mean when I say that word decompounding? I think I do, but why don't you explain it so that our listeners make sure that they understand? Well, as you're paying a mortgage down, decompounding is you're paying less and less and less interest over the years, where when you're saving, you're making more and more interest over the years. So you've got to put it on paper and look at this logically, and I'm not against paying off a mortgage. But many times, Mary Jo, will have a client that will come in and say, I want to pay off my mortgage, but I want to take it all out of my 401k or my IRA to do so, which creates an enormous tax problem. Right. And I definitely would not encourage that because you've got long-term tax-deferred compounding available and it becomes income when you take it out. I always look at it as about the cost of the money. That's exactly right. Yeah. And we're looking at historically low rates. Even though we are in a rising interest rate environment, mortgage rates are still lower than they've been for the majority of my life which has been pretty long. (laughs) And so I I think that that's important. If you can keep it invested and make more money than what it's costing you on the mortgage, that's something to look at. I think that's true about any kind of debt. And you know, Bob, the Bible says to avoid the use of debt. And so that's something we want to think about as well. How do you feel about maintaining the debt? And when we talk about mortgage debt, I look at that a little bit differently. I always think of that as there's an asset behind it. So it's an asset-based debt and it's something you could sell if there was ever any need for that money. Whereas revolving debt, you usually don't know what you bought to accomplish that debt or to accumulate that debt. I don't see that those are the same kinds of debt with the same kinds of burdens, if that makes sense. It does. Let me tell you, Mary Jo, we've got a situation right now with a client that they want to take money out of their IRA to go pay off their mortgage. And we're talking about $150,000 to go pay that off. We looked at what the interest was going to be if he paid all the interest, the entire loan, and the interest itself is going to be less than the tax is going to be if he pulls out of his IRA. Plus, like you said, he's not making money in the IRA then. And even when I put this at a reasonable rate of return, 
So let's say the mortgage interest rate is 4% or 4.5%, and then we put on the other side, the money that they're going to use to pay it off is only making 3%, maybe even making less. Just a real conservative rate of return. You still make more interest than you pay interest on the mortgage, again, because it's decompounding. And no one ever thinks of that phrase, decompounding. Well, that's true, Bob. Also, is that client under 59 and a half or are they over 59 and a half? So if you took money out of your IRA prior to 59 and a half, you also may be looking at a 10% penalty. So that's a big difference maker there. Even this client that I was talking about, he's above 60. Oh, okay. So he wouldn't have to pay the 10%, but the taxes would still be more than the interest. Really, it doesn't make sense in that situation. So this third question we get a lot of is how much can I expect to retire on? And I know we have a general rule of thumb there. Yes, and that's a 4% spend down rate. If you look at all of the experts in planning, they'll all generally say that if you're withdrawing less than 4%, that you should be fine. Mary Jo, I call this the rule of 25 because take a four spend down rate, 25 times four is 100%. By taking what you want to retire on and multiplying it by 25, it gives you the number you can withdraw at a 4% spend down rate. Here's an example. If you wanted a $50,000 retirement income from your 401k, your investments, in addition to any social security or pensions you might get, you're going to need $1,250,000 when you retire. The way I get this is by multiplying that 50,000 times 25. And you know, Bob, that's one of those kind of overall general calculations that work for most people. But I also encourage to do some ongoing financial planning where we can actually crunch these numbers for you and model what scenarios. And that can really help clients understand. And I think it's a little more scientific, a little more exact but it can give them peace of mind because one of the things that goes into ongoing planning is Monte Carlo analysis. What that does is do hundreds or even thousands of iterations of the numbers and can calculate it. So you can get a pretty good feeling for what your odds are, and that's very helpful. Also through financial planning, things that we can do is we can look at different points in time and say, okay, when are you going to need a new car? When do you want to take that European cruise? Or maybe you would have an unforeseen medical need. That goes back to detailed financial planning. Exactly. New roof. Have you given thought to those big expenses that aren't part of your everyday spending? I love that, Bob. The financial planning software we have is so amazing today that you can change that around and it's a living, breathing document. That's right. Every time we meet with clients, as their situation changes, they have a life-altering event, we can continually manipulate those numbers and refresh that and have an ongoing discussion about what's changing in their financial situation. Well, that leads us to the next question, Bob, that I get a lot. And this, I think, stems from a lot of what's happening in the news media. The clients will ask, are you a fiduciary? And what exactly does that mean to me? And it's a great question. From a financial sense, a fiduciary is someone who manages other people's money in the beneficiary or the client's best interest rather than serving their own interest. They're not just pushing product that they have to offer. They're actually finding solutions that are in the client's best interest. You know, Mary Jo, it's interesting that we're getting that question now. Are you a fiduciary? 
five years ago, I never got that question. But like you say, because of the news and the media, and it's a good question. Yes, it is. Because you need to be asking whoever's going to be helping you with your financial planning and your financial advice if they're a fiduciary. And a few years ago, the government attempted to rule on this and make it a requirement of all advisors, brokers, product salesmen, etc. But then this rule was struck down by the current administration. Well, and you know, here at CIS, we are registered investment advisors. Bob and I are both investment advisor representatives of the firm. The firm is the registered investment advisor. Also, as a CFP, I'm required to serve in this capacity as part of my designation. So as a certified financial planner, we are always charged with asking as a fiduciary, as you and I are, Bob, and I wouldn't have it any other way. It just seems like the right way to do business. I will point out here, and not to throw arrows at anybody in our industry, but as an example, if your advisor only sells annuities and the annuity is paying him or her a commission, they're not in the fiduciary role. That's right. You know, another question we get that comes along these lines is how are we compensated and how do we pay you? Like Mary Jo was just saying, we're primarily fee-based advisors. So what we do is we charge a fee that you pay us for our services. And usually this is a stated percentage for investment management. It's going to vary, you know, depending on how much you have under management, somewhere between a half percent, it could be as high as one and a half percent, depending on the amount. The higher the investment managed amount, of course, the lower the percentage fee is. Or there's also a flat fee for just financial planning services if done outside the scope of an investment advisor relationship. In other words, if we're not managing anything for you, but you just want financial planning, then that's done on strictly a fee basis that usually is by the hour. It can have a minimal amount of hours. On our website on ciswealth.com, we specify a lot what can be included. You can pick even different packages. And I'll let you chime in on this a little bit, Mary Jo. Yes. So we can customize that financial planning for whatever your situation is, whatever your needs. A lot of clients don't need comprehensive financial planning, but they do have a few questions. So we can do that on an hourly basis. And I think that's a great way to approach it. Bob, I just also wanted to add that we do provide protection solutions or product solutions such as liability insurance, long-term care insurance, other types of insurance products. And we may receive a commission for these products. And that commission is paid by the issuer of the product, but it's also provided as a service to our clients. And it's not our primary focus of our business. We have access to it. You and I are both insurance licensed, but the primary business is advice. And for that, we do get a fee. If we do sell something to you like a life insurance policy, while we say it's commission-based, we have no problem with letting you know up front what that commission is. We're not going to hide anything. Absolutely. Okay, so here's another question we seem to get is, I've heard the terms active management and passive management. What's the difference in these and what do these mean? And I know you have some good things to share here. Well, we're hearing more about that lately, at least I have been, and these approaches differ in how the investment manager utilizes investments that are held in the portfolio over time. Not to get too deep, but I think it does merit an explanation. Active portfolio management focuses on outperforming the market compared to a specific benchmark, while passive portfolio management aims to mimic the investment holdings of a particular index. 
that kind of comes back to all these index funds that are available to everyone out in the marketplace now. And just really understanding that those indexes are not managed. They're just strictly investing in a group, a basket of stocks or a basket of bonds. And it's a buy and hold through all market cycles. It doesn't matter which company it is. If it fits in that basket, it's going in that basket. Is that a good way to put it, you think? Absolutely. See, the other side of this is active management, and this is like through a a portfolio manager, and they're engaged in actively managing the holdings that they put into the portfolio. They pay very close attention to things like market trends, shifts in the economy, changes to the political landscape, and factors that may affect specific companies. So this data is used to time the purchase or sale of investments in an effort to take advantage of these price irregularities that we have. Active managers claim that these processes boost the potential for greater returns than those achieved simply by mimicking the overall stock index or other securities listed on a particular index. I think it would be helpful to share like an example of that. Passive management, it's also referred to as index fund management, which Bob referred to. And this involves the creation of a portfolio that's intended to track the returns of a particular market index or benchmark. So let's look at one that's very popular. For example, the S&P 500. This is a common index that's made up of the 500 largest publicly traded companies. And the amount of ownership of each company in the fund is proportionate to their market weight or the size of that company. So managers select stocks and other securities that are listed on an index and apply the same weighting. The index basically just mimics the S&P 500 or the 500 largest publicly traded companies. So the purpose of passive management portfolio is to generate a return that's the same as the index instead of outperforming it. Now, Mary Jo, if I'm driving a car and I'm listening to this right now, I think I got all that, but it made my head spin a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) So in summary. Okay. In summary, active managers, they buy and sell frequently, and they're really trying to beat the overall market. And they're trying to beat other fund managers as well. There's just a real big difference between active and passive management. Bob, another point, you might have heard the term alpha. When a fund manager outperforms the market, that difference is referred to as alpha. So an active manager, their goal is to provide alpha for their clients. And I believe there's different strategies for different scenarios. And Mary Jo, as you know, we use both of these strategies. We use both the index strategy and we use a biblically responsible index. And there's several to choose from now and more coming online, it seems like monthly and yearly. Boy, I remember when I first started doing this many, many years ago, wanting to be biblically responsible investing. And again, that's really looking at what companies are we investing in and are those companies involved in immoral agendas that would violate biblical principles. And when I first started with biblically responsible investing 20, 25 years ago, there were very few choices. But today there's choices across the full spectrum of an asset allocation model. Absolutely. And so there are indexes that track small companies, mid companies, international, even emerging markets. So there's an index and even bond indexes. So for every sector in the market, you can track an index. So Bob, our next question I've gotten from clients. 
I want to save money outside of my retirement accounts, but I'm concerned about tax consequences. Is there a way to do this tax efficiently? So how do you advise clients on this? Well, there's a couple ways. One is, is using a manager that has a tax efficient approach. The second way is using an ETF, like an exchange traded fund. Again, we like to use a biblically responsible one because these are much more tax efficient than the traditional funds out there that are constantly buying and selling. The nice thing is there's those choices. We can build an individual portfolio too, as well as we can do the tax loss harvesting at the end of the year. So we can look at our winners, we can look at our losers, and we can sell our losers to offset the gains in the winners and go into the same type of asset class before the 31-day period, which gets into tax planning. That's great. That's awesome. So another question we get, this is a big one, is what types of clients do you serve best? So I'm going to let you get into that, someone, and I'm going to chime in. Well, that is a great question. You know, one of the things is we are clients that are looking to work with a trusted advocate, and they're looking for a long-term relationship with an advisor. So if those people that are willing to delegate their day-to-day investment decisions. Bob, I have found that most people, they just don't have the time They don't have the interest and they don't have the knowledge to do it themselves. So they're open to delegating. You know, they hire out their lawn maintenance. They take their car to the car wash. They have a maid come in and clean their house. So your investment portfolio is no different. Your time may be better spent doing something else that you enjoy. Another thing is we have the question, well, do you have a minimum? We do and we don't, Mary Jo. I mean, we best serve clients that have investments between 500000 to $2 million, but we can serve those with a lower amount, but then we have a flat fee that we have to charge on an annual basis just to stay in business. And that's all written out on our website and described in detail. So the main thing is, is those of you that are looking for help with financial planning decisions, we want to help you and we'll figure out a way. That's great. Bob, another question I get quite frequently is what lessons have I learned as an advisor over the course of working with clients? And that's a good one. You have any thoughts on that? One thing I always say is look at my hair. You see the gray? (laughs) (laughs) I see less of it now, Bob. (laughs) Well, there's a lot of this been going on lately, especially the one constant is change and the market's going to go up and the market's going to go down at some point. You know, we had such a long bull market this last time around when we've had some of these downturns recently, people have forgotten that the markets can go down. Yep. So that is the one thing I've learned as an advisor is helping people get through those times because they can be very emotional. They can. And you know, Bob, all money decisions are emotional decisions. One of the things that I've learned is that we really have to ask the right questions as an advisor, and we have to really, really listen to the answers and really kind of dig deep to get the emotion. You know, what's behind that question? And there's always some level of emotion, especially for most clients when it comes to money. A lot of time it's fear. And so we really need to explore that and really understanding what's driving the client. One of the other things that I have found is discipline. And I think discipline is the difference maker. When working with an advisor, you've got the discipline of regular meetings and ongoing focus on your finances. 
When you do it yourself, it's kind of like cleaning your closets. Oh, I'll get to it later. And later never comes. And those will cancel sit idle for years without you ever even lifting the hood and seeing what's going on. Some other things over the years, Mary Jo, and working with an advisor is we've helped people with spending decisions and even decisions about buying possibly a rental home. And is that a good decision? And many times those spending decisions that we have helped people with have resulted in a $6,000, $10,000 savings versus if they'd have made that decision otherwise. Does that make sense to you when I say that? Absolutely. Looking at both sides of it. Another question we get, as a financial future, what are you most concerned about regarding the future? I know you have a comment there, and then I've got one too. For me, it really is about the increasing cost of longevity and the longevity economy. And we're living longer, healthcare costs are increasing at an alarming rate. And what does that do to people's planning? That's a big one for me. Big one for me, Mary Jo, is our current political environment that we're in and the resulting regulatory environment. And when I say political, I know that there are some representatives that are even talking about a huge tax increase. I've heard as high as 70%. That really concerns me that that would even be mentioned in the political environment. Oh, I know that we could go on for hours about that one. Bob, another great question that we get from clients are, have you lost any clients in the last year? And if so, why? And I think that's a very fair question. How would you respond to that one? I think it is a fair question. The way I'm going to answer this, I wrote this down because I wanted to make sure I got this one right. And it is natural in the financial industry business to lose clients on an annual basis. And CIS Wealth Management Group is no exception. But the ones that we do lose, it seems to be because of these reasons that I found over the years. Well, the first one is death. I mean, you can't do anything about that one. Like we just had the death of a recent client when that happens. Now, we do want to be able to help the family members and hope that who that money is going to, we can help them like we help their parent or maybe the aunt or the uncle that left the funds to them. Another thing that we'll lose clients over occasionally, but this is more in the past, is when they moved to another state and they wanted an advisor they could sit across the desk from. But that's not happening near as much as it used to because of technology today and how we can do online meetings. Boy, the third one, this is a big one. Chasing investment returns. And they hear about a relative or a friend doing better than they are at the time. Then I think, Mary Jo, there's what we call the seven-year itch, which is very similar to thinking you need to move somewhere after seven years and the philosophy that the grass is always green on the other side. But many times we see clients return after finding out they didn't. That's true. The grass is always greener. It applies to so many situations and it doesn't really pan out. And then we've got personality differences. And then the last one I've noticed a few times is a close relative or a close friend has decided to be a financial advisor and they want to go help them out. That's true. And you know, Bob, the next question, and this one is a very easy one, clients ask us, how can I check your background? Put another way, have you had any securities violations or been charged with any unethical business practices? And it's a question that all clients should ask their advisor. And the simple answer is brokercheck.com. That's where you can see all regulatory disclosures. And we're down to these last couple of questions. One is we seem to be moving into an environment of rising interest rates. How is this going to impact my future goals? 
really rising interest rates, it shouldn't have an impact on our clients. We manage our investment allocations accordingly. We typically look at bonds and other types of investments that pay interest, and they tend to be more sensitive to rising rates. So we will pick and select types of bonds that are not going to be that sensitive in those environments. We'll look for shorter term bonds during these periods. Short term bonds are not as interest rate sensitive. So that's one of the fixes, if you will. Another question we'll get, and this is our last one of today, is on your website, we talk about integrating faith and finance. So exactly what do we mean by this? The advice that we provide, it's based on biblical wisdom. The Bible has so much to say about money and wisdom both. Some additional training that equips and empowers us as disciples of Christ is the training that we get through Kingdom Advisors, which is an organization nationwide that brings together Christian advisors and trains us on biblical financial stewardship. And we've gotten so much from that. There are several great examples of scriptures that support this. What are some of your favorite ones? Psalms 24, 1 that says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. I believe that God owns it all and he lays it out in his word how we can manage the resources that he has given us. I think we covered it all. God owns it all. What more can you say? I believe we have. You are listening to Christian Financial Perspectives. Join us next week as we explore what God's Word says about money. And don't forget, you can sign up for our free newsletter at ciswealth.com or give us a call at 877-71-TRUTH. That's 877-718-7884. To make sure you don't miss any of our podcasts regarding the truth about money, be sure to subscribe to Christian Financial Perspectives at christianfinancialpodcast.com for free. If there are any specific topics you would like to hear more about, we'd love to hear from you. That's all for now. Until next week. Investment advisory services offered through Christian Investment Advisors, Inc., DBA CIS Wealth Management Group, a registered investment advisor. A Monte Carlo simulation generates thousands of probable performance outcomes called scenarios which might occur in the future. An investment simulation incorporates economic data such as a range of potential interest rates, inflation rates, tax rates, and so on, combined in random order. As a result, it's designed to account for the uncertainty and performance variations that are always present in financial markets. Many factors determine the actual return on your investment, and your actual investment return may vary greatly from the results offered by this simulation. The guarantees of any insurance contract, including fixed returns, payouts, and death benefit guarantees, are contingent on the claims-paying ability of the issuing company. Working with a financial advisor is not a guarantee of investment success or that one's financial goals will be achieved. Investing in certain securities may help to hedge against certain risk, but does not imply any guarantee from loss. There are no guarantees any investment or strategy will meet its intended objective. To determine which investment may be appropriate for you, consult with your financial, tax, or legal professional. Comments from today's show are for informational purposes only and not to be considered investment advice or recommendations to buy or sell any company that may have been mentioned or discussed. The opinions expressed are solely those of the host, Bob Barber and Mary Jo Lyons. Bob and Mary Jo do not provide tax advice and encourage you to seek guidance from a tax professional.